the year with a series on vision. Did you get it? 2020 vision? Okay. Wake up. Um, So we're going to kick off with a series called First Things First. You know, New Year's always prompts resolutions, right? Um, How many of you have some New Year's resolutions? Anybody in the room? None of you. You're, you're not very motivated people. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. Because to resolve is to make a decision. It's to make a determination. For me, I always think of in terms of goals. Okay. So when I enter a new year, there, sometimes I have a number of goals. Some of them are very specific. Some of them are more general. Okay. For, for example, I've done this for the last few years, at least four or five years, where I set a, a number of books that I want to read for the year, okay? So for 2020, my goal was 52, all right? Last year, my goal was 100, and I hit 60. Uh, this year, I'm backing it off a little bit. I'm going to try to be more realistic, all right? And some of you are like, really, 100? Uh, the year before that, I read 170, okay? Just saying. So I've backed off quite a bit. Um, but that's one of my goals. It's very specific, right? Um, and goals are great. I hope you have some, some good goals to reach for. Uh, one of kind of the better relationship with God, right? As we enter a new year, we want to have a stronger relationship with Christ. We want to be more like Christ, and that's a great goal. But what if it was more than just a goal? What if it was a priority? What if it was a priority? You know this phrase, first things first, I know you've heard it before, but it has to do with doing the most important things first. Uh, you do the most important things first, and then you do lesser important things, okay? It's, it's about priority. Okay, so think, of, think with me back to Christmas, okay? We just came out of Christmas. My goal is to buy Christmas gifts for everybody that I know and love, all right? That's a great goal. But first things first, I need to have some money to spend, right? And so what happens is, is if, I, if I put second things first, if I try to buy gifts before I have money to spend, that's why most Americans end up in debt, right? Because we're not putting first things first. We're spending money that we don't have. And so first things first is all about priority. A couple years ago, one of the books that I read that was a really great book on productivity, it's called Essentialism, a guy named Greg McEwen, a really good book. But there was one point that I remember that stood out to me, and I want to read you this quote. It's going to be on the screen. He said this, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. Next 500 years, only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Logically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. People and companies routinely try to do just that. One leader told me of his experience in a company that talked of priority one, priority two, priority three, priority four, and priority five. This gave the impression of many things being the priority, but actually meant that nothing was. All right? Doesn't that make so much sense? Like, we talk about all my priorities. The reality is we only can have one priority, right? That's what the word priority means. It means very first or prior Thing. And so what this series is all about is, about is about our priority as a church and as individuals, as the people of, of God. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that you and I could put first, that we could make priority in our lives. There's a lot of things that we could, as a church, say are, are, are first, okay? A lot of good things. But here's the problem. When we make secondary things first, bad things happen. 
when we make secondary things first, when we make secondary things the priority, man, it messes work, which is a good thing, but it's a secondary thing to our family, right? To loving our spouse and our kids. But when we make that secondary thing the priority, man, bad things happen. It's about getting things in the right order. And so this is what I want to talk about in this series, because my contention is this. Out of all the good things we could make first in our church, there must be one priority. And this is the title of the sermon. It's this, the gospel above all. The gospel above all. So let me define this, because if you've grown up in church, been around church for any length of time, you may be confused, or you may have a number of different things that go through your head when we talk about the gospel. All right, and so for some of you, I want to try to redefine or, or broaden or maybe make more specific what this, this term gospel means. Okay, there's a few th- different things we could be talking about when we talk about the gospel. One is we could be talking about just the, the truth of Scripture, okay, in general, what, what the Bible says. You know, you've heard the term the gospel truth, right? It, we could be talking about all of Scripture, the story of God in the Bible. We could be talking about um, the New Testament gospel accounts. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are referred to as, as gospel accounts um, because they talk about the life in 1 Corinthians 15, which is really kind of our anchor text for this series. 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses. And I know I've encouraged this, I think, in the past, but man, I would encourage you to, to know these verses, all right? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, Paul is writing to this, this church in Corinth, and he says in verse number 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Okay, so the context is what? The gospel, all right? Uh, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now he goes into defining what the gospel is. Verse number three, for I delivered to you, and I want you to catch these next four words. These are important. As of, what do those next two words say? First importance, all right? This is, so what I'm, I'm getting here is this is priority. First things first. I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important thing, what I also received. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. All right? This is the gospel that Paul defines for us here. It's good news. It's good news. Gospel. It's a declaration. Okay, think of, if you think of like a newspaper headline. You remember kind of the, in, the old, in the old days, back when paper was a thing, um, the newspaper was like, extra, extra, read all about it, right? Think of a newspaper headline. It was, a, it was an announcement, a declaration, a proclamation of, of what has happened. And what the gospel is, according to 1 Corinthians 15, in this case, it's the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, what 1 Corinthians 15 says is that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. He was raised. Okay, that is the gospel. Let me put it another way. When I speak of the gospel, here's what I mean specifically. The person and work of Jesus. Okay, the person and work of Jesus. In other words, who he is and what he has done. 
Okay, that is the gospel, the person and the work of Jesus. One of the phrases you will hear me say often is this phrase, gospel-centered, gospel-centered. What that means is that our focus and our priority is all about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about the gospel. And Paul says the gospel is to be of first importance. And we'll have these up on the screen here. So these icons represent the gospel. Okay, on the right side of this arrow, you have Jesus coming. He came to us, God in the flesh. He died on the cross. He was buried, but then he rose again out of the tomb. This is a picture of the gospel. On the left side, we have the scriptures because in 1 Corinthians 15, it says twice that all this happened according to the scriptures. All right? This is the gospel that Paul says, listen, church, this is the priority. This is of first importance. There's a lot of other good things that we, we're all about, but the thing that is of first importance is the gospel. It's the gospel. Why, why first? Why does the gospel need to be first? Well, simply it's because the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The person and the work of Jesus changes everything. Now, if you grew up in church, you may have thought that the gospel, the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, was like your way into the Christian life, and that you, you say a prayer, you make a, a decision to follow Jesus, and then you leave the gospel behind and move on to deeper stuff, right? That's for, for a lot of us, especially if you grew up in a Baptist church, all right? You said the prayer, you believed the gospel, and then you moved on to other stuff as we've moved on from the thing that is of first importance. We've moved away from it and said, well, that was just for me to enter into a relationship with God. I don't need that anymore. There's other stuff I need to figure out. Yes, you need to figure out other stuff, but what is of first importance is the gospel. It's not just important for your eternity. It's important for your every single day. And so we as a church, we've got to make sure that out of all the good things that we're doing, that it all flows out of our priority, which is the gospel above all. The gospel above all, because the gospel changes everything, not just for our eternity, but for our every single day. And why is it so important that we put it, the gospel first? I want you to see in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul goes on with this, this church in Corinth and and he, he says some really important things here to the church. He says in, in verse number one, he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. Okay, he says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Okay, so he's, he's talking to the church, the people of God that he's invested in, that he's, he's poured the gospel into. And he says, I have a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, I was like your spiritual father. I introduced you. In the Bible often refers to our straying away from God as, as spiritual adultery. Okay, and so he's using these terms and this imagery, and he says, I've got this jealousy for you because I introduced you to your one husband as a pure virgin to Christ. Verse 3, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Okay, have any of you started like a Bible reading plan for this year? You're starting in the book of Genesis. Anybody in the room? Okay, again, okay, we have a couple motivated people. Thank you. All right. Um, Typically, in this first week, you're working through the book of Genesis if you start a reading plan. Um, if you remember back to the garden, 
Okay, God creates Adam and Eve, and he gives some instruction. He says, you can eat of every tree of this garden but one, because the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And so he gives instruction. What happens? The serpent comes along, and this is very cunning and subtle, and says, is that really what God said? And so he begins to cast doubt on the word of God. And so what happens? Eve eats of the apple. She gives to her husband, who is with her which is sin. It's disobedience to God, which introduces sin into the human race, and we are all part of this now. And, and Paul says this. Okay, so thinking of that context, how this, this cunning, deceitful serpent came to the woman. He says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be afraid for you, church, that, that, that you're deceived from this pure innocent devotion to Christ, that you're going to commit spiritual adultery. Verse number four, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different what? Gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. In other words, what he's saying, he's he's saying, I'm, I'm, I've got this jealousy. I'm nervous for you people that, that someone's going to come in, and this is in the history of the church, y'all, that, that false teachers come in or people come in and begin to introduce other teachings that may seem like they honor God, but they are, in fact, about another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel from the one that Paul has declared to us. And Paul says, I'm nervous that you're just going to put up with it because you're gracious and you're kind and you're loving and you're gullible, and this enemy is going to come in cunningly and subtly, deceitfully, and lure you away from your one true husband. This is why it's so important, y'all, that we make sure the gospel is above all, because there is another gospel, there is another Jesus, another spirit that is proclaimed. It's easy for us to go off in other directions. And this is why it's important, y'all, for us as a church to make sure This gospel is first, so that when counterfeits come along, we can go, hmm, that doesn't sound like the gospel of the scriptures. That doesn't sound like that. And so when we talk about first things first, here's the bottom line. First things first means the gospel is above all. The gospel is above all. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that the gospel is first So let me talk in terms of individuals and families, first of all, okay, that make up this church. As individuals and families, the way that we make the gospel first is we make Paul's resolution our own. We make Paul's resolution our own. Okay, we talked about New Year's resolutions, right? A determination, a resolve to do something, to choose something, to to make a determination moving forward. I want us to to hear Paul's resolution because this has got to be ours individually, Philippians chapter 3, he says this, Philippians 3, verse 8 through 11, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Okay, does that sound like a priority to you? He says, everything else is, is lost. I'm considering everything else like Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, verse number 10, catch this. This is the resolution of Paul. He says this, this is the priority, that I may know him and the power of his what? His resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know what he's referring to here? He's talking about the power of his resurrection. You know what he's referring to? He's talking about the gospel, right? The fact that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. And what Paul says is his resolution, his resolve, the thing that is first priority for him, he says this, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And, and catch this. Don't miss this, because sometimes we, go, we, we skip right over these verses. He says, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him. I want to know Jesus more. I want to know him more. I want to have a deeper relationship with him. And then we stop there. But you know what Paul's resolution was? The way that I'm going to know him more, the way that I'm going to know the power of his resurrection is I've got to experience suffering and I've got to experience death. This is the way that we experience the power of his resurrection. Not when everything is going great, not when we're experiencing life and goodness and grace and kindness. No, when we share his sufferings, some of us, the reason that we're not growing in our faith is because we're afraid to suffer. We're afraid to go through hard things. We think this must not be God's plan for me because it's hard. But listen, Paul said, the way that I'm going to share in his sufferings, the way that I'm going to know the power of his resurrection, the way that I'm going to know him more is I've got to become like him in his death. I've got to go through stuff and figure out that Christ is the most worthy goal of all, that he is going to see me through, that he's going to give me power and grace. He's going to be with me, that he's going to conform me to the image of his son. This was Paul's resolution, that everything else is secondary to knowing Christ, to sharing his sufferings, to becoming like him in his death, follower of Jesus, to be formed by the gospel. Let me share a quote with you. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, of a missionary named Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary um, to China in the, the 1850s. Uh, he started this, this, it was called the China Inland Mission, okay? Brought the gospel to China and served in China for over 50 years. Hudson Taylor, one of these, these, these giants of the faith, he, he said this. The quote will be on the screen here. There is a needs be for us to give ourselves for the life of the world. Fruit bearing involves cross bearing. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. We know how the Lord Jesus became fruitful, not by bearing his cross only, but by dying on it. Do we know much of fellowship with him in this? There are not two Christs. An easygoing Christ for easygoing Christians and a suffering, toiling Christ for exceptional believers. No, there is only one Christ. Are we willing to abide in him and so to bear fruit? Here's what he says. 
The way that we bear fruit is by being willing to suffer alongside of him, by being willing to endure self. When we lay our lives down, when we live lives that are sacrificial, we get to experience fruit in our lives. And so to become gospel-formed followers, we've got to become what the, the reformers of old, they called a creature of the word. In other words, a church is a creature of the word, a, a, a church who loves and lives by his word above all else. And so what, what I want to call us to as a church in 2020 is, is what I'm calling a Bible revival, okay? I'm going to call it hashtag Bible revival, okay? Um, in other words, I, I, I think I've told some of you this. Um, I, I miss in, in the old days, okay, um, back in the day, as my kids say, um, which could mean like three years ago. Um, back in the day, I remember when you were trying to find, if you were on the search for a new church, one of the things that, that, that you would look for in a church um, was how many people come into the building carrying a Bible, okay? Uh, th this was one of my determinations. If I was looking for a church, I would say, okay, if people are coming into the church carrying a Bible, that means they must actually, what, use the Bible, right? Okay, we can't hardly do that anymore because, you know, you've got your Bible on your phone, right? So, you know, I don't know if you use it or not, but you've got it with you. Um, but I, I honestly, I miss the old days, back in the day, of, of saying, hey, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And, you know, you, know, you would hear this, like, you would hear all across the auditorium, like, Paper shuffling, all right? Now it's kind of like, what's going on if you hear paper moving? Because uh, you don't hear that when you're swiping, right? But I so miss hearing that because you know what that means? That means people are, are engaging with the word of God. People are engaging with the one thing that can truly and eternally impact and change them. And so I love hearing that. And I, I so miss that. And so here's what I, one of the things I, wanna, I would love to call us to is to become an old-fashioned church, okay? And some of you may not be with me, and that's okay. Um, some of you may only have like a giant family-sized Bible that sits on your coffee table that you'd be hauling with two hands, you know, if you came in. Uh, man, I would love for us to be a church that's kind of old-fashioned in the sense that we carry a book with us and we flip open pages and learn how to engage with the Word of God. You know what I'm talking about? I didn't get any amens. Can I get any amens? Amen. There's an amen. All right. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I love it. I would love for, and I'm, listen, it's not all about having a paper Bible. It's about engaging with God's word. It's about becoming a creature of the word, a church that so loves and lives by what God has said is true, that it forms us and it shapes us us. And that's what I would love for us to, to be. A ton of, of Bible reading plans. Here's the deal. I want to encourage every single one of us to start a Bible reading plan where you are engaged in the Bible every single day. This is a plan uh, on the Bible app. Um, so my family and I have started trying to do this together this year. We're going to try it for the first time, um, doing it all together. You can invite other people into it. You can make it a social thing. Uh, you can kind of comment every single day. Uh, I love this because this is an easy plan where you're, it's 365 days, okay, but it's not necessarily reading through the entire Bible. It's trying to connect the story of the Bible all throughout Scripture. So you'll have an Old Testament passage, you'll have a New Testament, um, or a, a chapter from, or some verses from a wisdom book, which would be like Psalms, Proverbs. Um, but it, it kind of connects 
the whole story of the Bible together. Uh, and it takes maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes to read each day. The goal is not for you to necessarily be in your Bible three hours a day. It's just to be in God's word. Because the gospel is never going to be primary. The gospel is never going to be first if we're not living and loving the book that God has given us. And so the way that we can put the gospel first is we become a creature of the word. We, we get into the Bible. We start a Bible revival. Because everything in the Bible points to Jesus. It's either pointing forward to him or it's pointing backwards. Immerse ourselves in God's word. Doing it on Sunday mornings is not enough, y'all. I cannot feed you enough to make you a gospel foreign follower. You have to dig in to God's word on your own. And so in the Bible app, if you're following along with the notes or on the, the there's a note sheet if you've got that, um, I've got some suggested resources, including that Bible plan that I want to suggest to you um, to jump into, okay? So, so as individuals and families, we've got to do that. Can I, can I put out a plug? Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to have Super Sunday Showdown, which is our Super Bowl kind of celebration, okay? On the Saturday night before that, February 1st, we're going to have a men's tailgate night, and really what that Saturday night is about, it's going to be about having fun. It's going to be about eating, um, as all good Baptists do. Amen. All right. um, but one of the things that night is going to be about is about me challenging the men of our church to lead in putting first things first. Because if we're going to be a church that God desires us to be, a creature of the word, formed by the gospel, we've got to have men who are leading their families to put Christ first. Amen? Thank you. <laughs> That's what that night's going to be about. It's going to be a rally to call men to take the place of leading and being a gospel-formed, gospel-centered church. Because we need men. We are abdicating our role that God has given us to lead his church. And so February 1st, men, I hope you will be there. Because I want to challenge us in this. If we're going to have a Bible revival, it's going to take all of us. But man, it's going to take some men who are going to help lead the way. Amen. And so how are we going to do this as a church? How are we going to put the gospel first as a church? It's simple. we got to unite around the person and the work of Jesus. We've got to unite around the person and the work of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Because a lot of churches are, every church is known for something, right? Every church is known for something. Some churches are known for their disunity and their, you know, madness and confusion. The, 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 the Corinthian church that Paul was writing to was known for their dysfunction, okay? Think of like a family. Some families are known for their athletic kids, some are known because they're just purely dysfunctional, right? Um, churches are the same way. Churches are known for something. And here's, if we're going to be a church that honors Christ, we've got to unite around the most important thing, and that is our preferences. You know why a lot of churches flounder and die? It's because they put their preferences above the gospel. They put their own wants and likes and preferences. They put their own comfort above the gospel. 
when they say, well, you're not doing things the way I like it, I'm done. I'm out. You're not doing things the way I like it. You're not doing enough of this or you're doing too much of this. And so I'm gone. And listen, I'm not saying that God never calls us to leave a church or go to a different church because he does. But listen, the church that God calls us to be is a church that puts secondary things secondary and puts the gospel above all. This is the one thing that unites all of us, the person and the work of Jesus. The person and the work of Jesus. And if we're going to put first things first, we've got to resolve as a church to say, hey, there's other important things, and we're not going to ignore those. We're not going to throw those things away, but we've got to put first things first. And the first thing that goes first, the priority, is that Jesus loves us. It has to be above all else. Amen? This is who we want to be as a church. This is who we've got to be. And so our rallying cry for this year, this is the verse that I want to be our rallying cry. It's John 3.30, okay? A very easy verse to memorize, but John says it this way. He must what? Increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. Christ must increase. And me and my preferences and my comfort and my wants and my needs have to decrease. They have to come secondary to Christ. This is our rallying cry. He must increase. I must decrease. Because here's the problem. Every single one of us wakes up every single day, and we wake up with this inclination to increase and to care more about ourselves and the things that we have going on and to, to, to be a people, to be a church Man, that is putting first things first. We've got to intentionally, constantly, persistently say, he must increase and I've got to decrease. My comfort and my preferences have to decrease. But I want you to see what he says in the next verse, verse 31. He who comes from above, speaking of Christ, is what? Above all. He who comes from above is above all. Comes from above is again what? Above all. And because he is above all, I've got I've to put him above all. I've got to make him increase while I decrease. Here, here's the last thing I want to share this morning. Romans 1.16. What happens when we as a church make the gospel first? This is what happens. Paul says it this way. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here is what Paul says about the gospel. He says it's not just a declaration. It's not just a proclamation or announcement. It is the very power of God. And when we begin to live with the gospel first, when we make that of first importance, what happens is we begin to experience the power of God in us and through us. And so if we as a church want to see the power of God alive and active and continuing to work in our church, man, the gospel has to be above all because the gospel is the power of God. Can I get an amen? amen. You know, a year and a half ago, 
uh, October of 2018, all right? That, that is us in front of our, our new-to-us vehicle, okay? Now, a CRV is uh, a nice little, you know, mini um, um, sport utility vehicle, right? It's like a mini, but it's, it was the first vehicle in my years of driving, okay? So uh, I'm 44 years old, been driving for, you know, 30 years or whatever, and in all my years of driving, this is the first four-cylinder vehicle I've ever driven, okay? Every other vehicle I drove was a V6. Uh, and I thought, you know what, it's not a big deal because I'm just driving in town, not a big deal, until I start trying to, like, merge onto the highway. And I'm like, this thing has no power whatsoever. I miss driving our minivan, right, because it's got a V6 and it's got some power. I'm like, okay, let me hand in the man card, but anyways... <laughs> No power in this, this, this little thing, all right? Um, but man, you get behind a V6, a V8, like there is, there is power in that. And some of us, listen, we are living a CRV kind of life <laughs> because we're putting secondary things first. And we're not experiencing the, mm, <laughs> like the power of God because we're letting other things come first. This, this last week, when we were running and hiding from y'all, you know, Clemson fans, and we went, ran to the mountains, okay, up in North Carolina, and we're on this trail, and, uh, uh, you know, there's all kinds of really cool waterfalls up in, in that area, and so uh, one of the things that, you know, one of, my, one of my boys talks about is, you know, if he wants to grab a drink from one of us out of our water, ball, our water, our water bottle, <laughs> what he does is he says, I, I won't put my lips on it, okay, I'll waterfall it. Okay, which if you know that term, it just means I'm going to let it fall into my mouth, okay? And so we're walking away from, um, from this actual waterfall here on the screen, which was, which was I, all I could think of was, you know, Ridge, my boy, talking about waterfalling, his water bottle, you know? And I'm like, that is totally different. This, this waterfall, is, I'm glad that cap was on. That would have been a mess. Um, <laughs> that waterfall is way different than the power of that waterfall that we experienced that was like soaking us, like we barely got any pictures and didn't even get our family Tate six-pack picture because it was like the, the mist was coming in. Uh, but there was some serious power behind this bad boy. You know what I'm talking about? It was not like this little drip of water coming out. And all I could think about was the difference in magnitude and immensity that is the difference between living a life that just, hey, I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to participate. I'm going to kind of check in, check the box. Power of God in my life. And I'm not going to be satisfied with anything less. I'm not going to be satisfied with the status quo Christian life where I may read my Bible or pick it up once in a while. I may attend church two out of four times a month. I may give whenever I kind of feel like it. No, it's a life that is devoted, that is resolved to putting the gospel above all, that I'm going to live and die by the reality, the truth that Jesus came and he died and he rose again to give me freedom and forgiveness of my sins that would affect not just my ever after, but my every single day. And y'all, this power is available to you and to me and to us as Friendship Baptist Church if, if 
we will be resolved to put first things first, to put the gospel first, amen? And God, this morning, that is our desire. That is what we want. That is what I want. God, I know that is the cry of so many hearts this morning, is for us to be people who, time of celebrating the Lord's Supper, this reminder of who you are and what you have done for us. God, I pray that you would awaken in us a desire, a resolve to put the person in the work of Jesus above all else. God, would you help us as a church? We want to experience the power of God in our lives, in our families, in our homes, God, in our church, in our county, in our world. And so, God, would you use us? Would you use us? Would you work in us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And would you stand with me?